0: Oh. music of little richard who passed away after battling bone cancer this weekend he was uh, 87 also the architect of rock and roll some would say he was the first rock star it was fairly obvious that both prince and Mick Jagger modeled themselves after his look In fact, uh, I found some interesting audio of Mick Jagger talking about a song that you know, Lucille. Lucille. I mean, that was it. It was just, that was the best record, you know, that year. Yeah, uh, he just, he loved him. Not so obvious as a fan, Bob Dylan. Apparently he was in a a Little Richard cover band in high school, once quoted as saying, uh, you know, he, he wanted to be exactly like Little Richard thankfully for us he wasn't because we already had little richard and then we needed bob dylan on the show right now alan cross from the ongoing history of new music in a journal of musical things huge huge loss alan immediately i thought we got to get alan cross on because little richard inspired everyone from you know prince to bob dylan to to the rolling stones you name it he inspired them and uh, just an interesting character
1: the holy trinity of rock and roll. You have Elvis, you have Chuck Berry, you have Little Richard. And of those three, Little Richard was the most flamboyant and the guy who really set the template for for what a rock star looked like, what a rock star said, how a rock star self-promoted, how a rock star uh, dressed and did their hair. We have to remember that the first six Little Richard singles were flops. Nothing, nothing happened with them. But then there was a magical period between 1955 and 1957, where he released songs like Tootie Fruity and Long Tall Sally and so many, and a few others. And then he never had another top 10 hit after 1958, but he did everything that he had to do in those two years with those songs that had this, this driving sort of, uh, the beats, the, the standing up playing the piano, the the whoops and the screams and the shrieks and the pompadour hair and the weird clothes and the makeup, all these things which would become standard operating procedure in the decades to come.
0: Yeah, it, you know, one of the, the the two people that I remember as a kid kind of making me stop and stare on TV back in the late 70s, Liberace and Little Richard, because yeah. they look different. And they both, funnily enough, played the same instrument, which I thought was really interesting. But and they also both were able to, even though they were so avant garde and different, really um, break into the mainstream. And somehow their weirdness was embraced. And as a kid, I, I like I I used to look at them and it was just like in awe.
1: Yeah. Now you got to remember that back in, in fifty five, fifty six, fifty seven, we didn't get to see a lot of our rock stars because. We didn't have music videos, we didn't have the, uh, the internet, we didn't have, they weren't always on TV and when they were, it was a big deal. So we would see pictures in magazines and we would infer what we wanted to from those pictures. And with Little Richard, you know, he was you know, weird enough, cool enough, wild enough that he appealed not only to black kids, but to white kids. And that's a, that's a really important thing is, is he, he crossed a color barrier just like Chuck Berry did. And that brought rock and roll to uh, more white kids than, than you know, every, anybody might have thought possible. Which, mm-hmm. you know, if we go to, to Paul McCartney and, and uh, John Lennon and Brian Jones and Keith Richards and, and Mick Jagger, I mean, these were kids that were buying records from America. And they were digesting these R&B records and blues records and then sending it back to America through their own lens. And as a result, we end up with some absolutely fantastic music. And Little Richard was, again, a real, real self-promoter. And he called himself the the innovator, the architect of Mm -hmm. of, of rock and roll. He's not entirely wrong um, because of the influence that he he had. And it went, you know, Jimmy Page and Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton. And, you know, if if there's no Little Richard, there's no Prince. If there's no Little Richard, there's no Bruno Mars. If There's no Little Richard. There may not be a Bowie or a Madonna. I mean, David Bowie took his first instrument, the th- first thing he started to play was the saxophone, and that's because he wanted to sound like he was playing in Little Richard's band.
0: Well, you know what's interesting is is uh, you know when you you think about the the Trinity and you said Chuck Berry, Little Richard, who was the third? Elvis. Elvis, the most sexual was easily Little Richard. I mean, yeah. he opened that up for rock stars. I I just want to go back here to to his history because I think it's amazing that nothing other than when I did some research, I found like a, a a TV movie about his life story. But his real name Richard Wayne Penniman, born in Macon, Georgia. He was the third of twelve kids. His dad uh, sold bootleg whiskey. He was raised in this. I mean, and this is where the storyline starts, right? This strict religious family started singing in church in the gospel choir, was a little bit too effeminate. uh, And his dad, you know, accused him of being gay at 13, uh, booted him out of the house. He goes to live with a couple who run a local club. And here's where the 10,000 hours come in. Throughout his teens, he's in and out of outfits like Buster Brown's Orchestra. That's where he got the name Little Richard, which was, uh, you know, a takeoff from his nickname, Little Richard. Um, He played with another band called the Tidy Jolly Steppers. And this is what I thought was really interesting. He sang sometimes wearing a red evening gown under the name of Princess Lavone in Sugarfoot Sam's minstrel show. He was serving his as a musical apprenticeship in his last days in these musical shows. And he also would hang around with like strippers and drag queens and, and these brash comedians. And so, you know, he learned his flashy showmanship from these people that were kind of misfits as far as the world of entertainment was concerned. Just incredible.
1: You know, people want sometimes want to go back and define who the first openly gay pop star was. And you can make a very, very convincing argument for uh, Little Richard. He did, when, in 1958, he was in Newcastle, and he had some kind of come-to-Jesus moment where he realized that he was going down a very, very wicked path. And renounced all his rock and roll and sexual ways and threw his jewelry into the... Uh, the harbour in Newcastle, Australia, and then quit rock and roll for about six years to become an ordained minister. Uh, later on, he would talk about, you know, always having been gay, and then towards the end of his life, he said he condemned gay and trans, uh, trans lifestyles. So he was a very complicated person when it came to his, his sexuality, but there is no question that what made Little Richard what he was and contributed to the... Tremendous influence that he had were those people that he hung out with back in the day.
0: Just amazing stuff. In fact, he once you said he had that come to Jesus moment. He left music for a long time, right? He did uh,
1: for 1958 to 1964. Uh, he did, I think, record one album during that time, and it was a uh, it was a very it was a gospel record. And then he went back to secular rock and roll after 1964, which is what he continued to do until he uh, he died. Uh, he never, like I said, had a top ten hit. Since, uh, 19, since 1958, but he became this iconic person thanks to his over-the-top, larger-than-life appearance. Remember all those movies he was in? And, and Vaguely. And, you know,
0: I remember you know, he was al- it, always a fixture somewhere.
1: If, you, if Yeah, so through the 80s and 90s, he was always showing up in movies, and he was full Little Richard in those movies. And he, that he really uh, that brought him to a new generation and, and, and kept him playing a lot.
0: Yeah, he married Demi Moore and, and Bruce Willis. Yeah,
1: I, I know. It's, I mean, like it's crazy. It's, it's a crazy, crazy story. I mean, it's, well, it's a fantastic rock and roll story, is what it is.
0: Right. You know, and I think one of the most amazing things about Little Richard's life story is that he was such a larger than life character, but he never became a joke. Like You know, some of those characters became jokes later in life. It's like he was kind of always in on, I got a wink and a nod to this. Yeah. Of course, I'm out there. But he never became a joke, which is a a remarkable thing, in my opinion. It it,
1: it is. I mean, people would look at Little Richard and say, you know, you're a bit of a weird guy. But that's as far as it really seemed to go, um, considering that he did open himself up to a lot of criticism during a less enlightened time. Uh, Yeah, you're right. He, He was just Little Richard and he was to be left alone because that's just who he was.
0: Okay, so who's going to play him in the movie? Because we know there's got to be... It'll probably be a series on HBO, but who who would you cast? Eddie who could Murphy. you cast? Oh, you know what? I'm going to leave it at you. Uh, your yeah. answer. You're the master. Good one. That's,
1: that's uh, the guy I'd have.
0: Alan, thanks so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to talk about music with you. Unfortunately, at you know this moment, we're talking about the loss of uh, one of the greats.
1: Yeah, and again, this is only something that we're going to have to deal with uh, over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, well, it's a passage of time. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. You bet. Cheers. That's Alan Cross from the Ongoing History of New Music and his uh, blog, A Journal of Musical Things. We are going to get up to date out of the Global Newsroom, and then it's on to hour number two of the show. Stick around.